Imagine a world in which post-traumatic stress no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people it is so true. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't want to, I, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week, we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I just remember being able to stand by the water and look up at the sky and hear the noises. And I didn't think they were gunshots. I was like, those are Disney fireworks. I don't even know what to imagine for myself now, my future, because I have one. This is Life After PTSD. So I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. I am super excited today. We, we always love, I mean, we love every story that we get to tell on this show, but I'm super excited when we get to talk with veterans. Um, it really was, in a lot of ways, the genesis of, of this show was initial work getting to hear stories from veterans and you know some of our, our bravest and finest who uh, struggled with PTSD and uh, fortunately overcame with the help of some amazing people that they had connected with in their lives. And so we kind of get to return to our roots today and uh, get to have a really cool conversation. Uh, Jesse Simpson, welcome to Life After PTSD. It's good to have you, man. Grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. He, he didn't even let people know I was here today. <laughs> I just wanted I to see if Carrie was going to do it. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I just want to know how super excited you really are. That's all I, I want no, to know. I you am. said I'm it very, twice. Well, I'm super I am. excited. Uh, stop it. I am because Jesse is a Marine Corps veteran and also a, a fire was a firefighter and, um, you know, but has such a, a rich story that is, um, you know, it sounds like from what we're going to hear today includes things that far preceded his service in, in both of those organizations and goes back to, to childhood a little bit. And so Jesse, what I don't want to do is I don't want to steal your thunder at all. I really um, want you just to kind of have the microphone and have the floor and have the opportunity to share with our listeners who you are and, and what your story, man, is. I, I feel like every part that we've done in the pre-show that I've heard thus far, you know, in fact, I stopped you at one point. I said, stop, we're doing the show off the air. We've got to, you know, we've got to just uh, get the microphones going here because I know it's hard to sort of tell and retell a bunch of times. So I just want you to start wherever you think is relevant. And, you know, if you'll allow us, you know, Carrie and I'll just jump in and you know, ask some questions here and there, and we'll just kind of have a like a living room type conversation for the benefit of the listener. So take it away, man. Love to hear your story. So my name is Jesse Simpson. I'm now currently working as a professional coach, and I have a adventure travel company where I take people on adventure travel retreats to Colombia. But it's been a pretty wild ride the last few years. You know, thinking back in, in January, just last month, it had been 10 years since I separated from the Marine Corps. Uh, I served four years in the Marine Corps. I was a infantry machine gun squad leader i went on three deployments got to travel all around all, all around the world with my best friends it was really a, an incredible experience um everything i ever had ever needed and wanted in my life up to that point but on the heels of my third deployment a combat tour to afghanistan it was time to go home to separate to move on with my life i had these dreams of being a firefighter so i got out headstrong really after my that third deployment and i um I think I literally thought that I would just go home and smoke weed and um, collect unemployment checks, maybe go to community college. Mm. Like that was my plan. But two weeks into that, I just completely realized that I needed something more in my life. And I think a lot of veterans, or at least for me, what we miss when we leave the military is the unmistakable sense of structure and purpose and the connection to our brothers and sisters and our, our family who are then spread out throughout the country. 
um, that, that was so missing really from my life. But I, I went to school and um, got some structure in my life, continued to struggle with a bit of anxiety and some some PTSD, hypervigilance. I was um, angry all the time, like lashing out at like friends from high school and my, my, my family and um, didn't really know what was going on. Just kept moving forward. I was really headstrong, young. Jesse, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, um, so did you go straight from high school to the military? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. I, the, uh, yeah. And then when you got out, they didn't tell you, oh, by the way, notice if these things happen to you, you may need some help. Or they just said, here, go, go and separate from the military and, you know, get a job. Yeah. And- it's a- yeah, it's a great question. And like I said, I, I think, I, I don't remember, it's been, you know, 10 years now, but like, what I do remember is we went to, I think they called fapping out maybe, but we went to these like classrooms and they, they talked about different ways of like getting disability and like how you can get collect unemployment checks. And then everything else, from what I remember, everyone just kind of zoned out and didn't really pay attention. I'm sure because we just got back from Afghanistan and I know there we had some like debriefing and like, I don't know, like what to expect kind of mentally and emotionally, but it was whether my age or just the group I was in or a combination of everything, it it didn't really resonate. I don't even remember if there was anything regarded to, um, regarding, you know, PTSD or trauma or the after effects of, of combat and what we had been through. Right. And, and, and I just, I just wanted to bring that up because it, it does seem like that's a, it's a theme. Um, and I don't think it's, there's, I'm not going to fault the military. I think they are probably trying, but I think like what you said, a lot of people probably aren't really paying attention. They don't, you know, they're not thinking about what's going to really entail when they leave. But then you also said that you had a dream of being a firefighter, but yet you came home and thought, and didn't jump right into that either at first. Right. Or were you? Tired? Well, yeah, my, my, my plan was to go to, to go to school, to go to become a paramedic with the long-term goal of becoming a firefighter. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I decided, you know, I was, I was, so I went to community college and I started to get the structure. I got into yoga a bit and that kind of helped me manage or, or get a bit more of a grasp around my mental health and, and, feel better physically. Uh, but a, a big game changer for me was in January of 2013, I was fortunate enough to go to on this volunteer trip to Lima, Peru. And I was going to work in an orphanage. And I thought about on the flight down there, how I couldn't wait to get down there and help these kids. You know, I'm a Marine Corps combat veteran. I was traveled the world. I'm all these things. And I got down there and I spent two weeks with these kids who had sticks and balls and dirt. And they had the biggest smiles on their face, you know, that I had ever, ever seen. And it was clear after that time with these kids that it was them that helped me. They changed me and they Mm. changed the way of the world. And they, they changed what I believed about my life and what I believe success meant and happiness was. And it started to shift these things in me. I started to have a lot of questions about really my life in the, in the States and what that meant and what I was supposed to do with my life and where I was supposed to find happiness. but either way i I decided to continue going to school still with a long-term sort of degree or goal of getting becoming a firefighter but i started to volunteer uh i accumulated hundreds of hours of volunteer experience at the phoenix children's hospital at a grief camp for kids i was a youth mentor for three years just all these different things giving back to people and it gave me a sense of purpose it gave me this sort of feeling of 
connection or service to something larger than myself that I had been missing ever since I separated from the core. And that carried on and had this idea this whole time of thinking that this could help other veterans. And I think that one of the, one of the big three that I consider that we miss when we leave the military is that sense of purpose. And this gave me a clear sense of purpose and direction. And then in um, October, 2014, I, I got picked up with the Mesa fire department, Mesa, Mesa, Arizona. And, you know, it was my, my dream job. I, I always wanted to be a Marine, a firefighter. And so I was super happy um, with this. I was able to finish my, my degree. And then this is over, you know, three or four years. And that whole time, this idea of starting this business to, to pair up veterans with troubled teens was brewing. And after I, my probationary as a firefighter, you know, and I think I should backtrack a little bit. Right when I became a firefighter, I don't know what I thought. I thought, I think I thought that I would be able to, I would be able to make a difference, feel like I was making a tangible difference. But what I found is that, well, I became very frustrated because what I found is that the vast majority of calls we went on were mental health in nature, you know, ranging from drunks and addicts in the streets to suicides and overdoses in people's homes. And I just started to feel like there had to be a better way to help these people. And then in November of 2016, my best friend from the Marine Corps died of a heroin overdose. And here I am going on these suicides and these, these overdoses. And I'm like, that's, that's Paul. That's my best friend. You know, it started to shift something in me. And that really pushed me to start this nonprofit, this, this business of this idea of pairing veterans and, and first responders with troubled teens as a way of bringing both together and, and really helping, giving them a sense of direction and purpose in their life. And um, yeah, so that's basically launched me into 2016 and I got all these different podcasts, interviews, these newspaper features. I was went to Texas at this all expense paid business boot camp, all these, all this amazing stuff. I had a dream girl, you know, I had my, my dream business in a way, what I thought my whole life was preparing me for. And then my, um, I had my dream job as a, as a firefighter. And then that all culminated in uh, September of 2017. I was recognized as the Arizona state firefighter of the year. You know, it was my, it was everything I'd ever wanted. I spoke in front of hundreds of firefighters at the state fire school. And I spoke about leaving a lasting legacy. And I talked about a man named Patty Brown, who was a firefighter in New York city on nine 11. And the idea is that leaving a lasting legacy, legacies are not written in how you die. They're written in how you live. And I spoke about Patty Brown's life and I encouraged other people to consider it the way they live and how they can leave a lasting legacy and, and can serve something larger than themselves. Patty Brown and his crew died on nine 11. And it took me back. I, I was in September of 2001, I was in seventh grade and seeing the twin towers come down and what men like Patty Brown did selflessly going up to save other people, to help other people with complete disregard for their own life. It inspired me to want to become a Marine and a firefighter. So it had, it came full circle for me and it was incredibly powerful, but I was trying to balance the demands of working at the 16th busiest ladder truck in the country that year with the nonprofit. And about a month after firefighter of the year, I started to really break down and my, some personal things happened. My mom lost her, her job, this daycare she had for 20 years. My, my older brother who had cancer at that point for about 20 years started to get worse. And then the last draw for me 
was that machine gun or that shooting in Las Vegas, Nevada in October 2017. And like I said, I was a machine gun squad leader in the Marine Corps. I shot machine guns at other people. And to hear that the machine gun shooting at people who, like me, love going to music festivals really sat me back. Because all the while I'm thinking about how there's got to be a better way to help these people. You know, and there, there's got to be something more we can do. But I feel like we're putting band-aids on a serious problem. And now this is happening here at home. And it, it really, it, it triggered something in me. It, 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 I just put my hands up and I was like, you know, what the F? Like, what is going on here? And all those things just kind of culminated. And I'm starting to struggle with substance abuse in here. I'm like popping Ritalin to stay awake during the day after coming home from a busy night at the fire station, then going on to my business, the, the meetings, all these things. And I'm smoking weed, smoking weed to come down and put me to sleep. And then I started smoking weed at work. You know, so I'm the firefighter of the year. I'm smoking weed at work. And then I decided that I need to pull the brakes on the nonprofit. I was completely burnt out, completely overwhelmed. And I, I, I was struggling really deeply internally. And when I pulled the brakes on that nonprofit, it crushed me because I thought it was like everything in my life. It was everything I'd ever wanted to, to give back in this way, to serve. And now it was gone. And I was struggling with substance abuse. I was fighting with my partner. I, I was, I felt like my life was falling apart. And then I started to have suicidal thoughts. And then I realized that I was having the same suicidal thoughts that I had when I was in seventh grade. The summer before seventh grade, I went up to my room after I fought my mom with a butcher knife slicing to my wrist, wishing I was dead. I was a really troubled kid. I was kicked out. I was um, kicked out of school all the time for fighting, smoking weed, cussing out teachers. I was deemed at risk. I was connected with a mentor who, who really saved my life. Because although I didn't kill myself that, that seventh grade or that summer before seventh grade, it was 9-11 that came in a couple months later and really changed me, brought me out of myself a bit. But I still got in trouble a lot. And it was a mentor later on that really stepped in and just showed me another way. But my eighth grade year, my my mentor took us on a, a trip of the downtown juvenile court detention center in the town where I grew up. And it was like a scary tactic. So you're going to end up here if you don't get your, your, your life together. And then we sat in front of the judge. And the judge, there's three of us boys. He looked at the first boy and he said, you'll be dead by the time you turn 18. He pointed to the second boy. He said, you'll be in jail. And he pointed to the third boy and said, you have a chance to write your own story. And that just always has sat with me. And I always say, I don't know what ever happened to those other boys. Because my freshman year, about a year later, Mr. Blue had been laid off. And I was thrown out of my home. I was kicked out of my home. And, um, so in yeah, ninth I mean, that, grade as a freshman, you were kicked out of your home. You had, you had correct. a mentor come in before that and basically said, Hey, you, you know, in a scare tactic said, Hey, you can write your own story. And then fast forward to your life later, this was your dream to help kids, you know, pair veterans with troubled teens, right? Like give exactly. them a mentor, give them back, give back what you had received. Right. So in, That's yeah. And so what yeah, happened? Yeah. Ninth grade, then ninth grade, uh, your mentor isn't there anymore. Uh, what, what happens and after that? Yeah, yeah. So I, well, my, my Mr. Blue was laid off not long after my, in my eighth grade year. And um, then my freshman year, 
I was, I was thrown out of my mom's home. She was a single mom raising four kids. My older brother got cancer, um, you know, struggling to own this, to open this childcare. She was an oncology nurse. So she, um, her, her mom my dad, was an oncology nurse and her son got cancer. Oh, that's, that's always, right. they know too much. It's very overwhelming. It, yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, and we filed for bankruptcy three times when I was growing up. Like it's a really challenging emotional time. I felt really unloved as a kid. I felt very misguided. I didn't have anyone that cared. I felt like, but it was Mr. Blue that really sort of changed that for me. And then he was laid off and I got right back into trouble. And then that freshman year I was, I was thrown out. I was become too much of a burden on my mom. And, um, you know, that, that was incredibly traumatizing to me to know, you know, I, I remember, I will always remember, I think this and just seeing my mom, saying, call your dad, you're not welcome here anymore. And, you know, it, it sent me away. But it's interesting because that experience, as, as difficult as it was at the time, was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because of the friends that I had uh, where I was living and the life I was, the, the path I was headed down was very dark and, and, and where it has ended up for the people that I used to connect with is literally dead or in jail or addicted to drugs. And so I just know that there was a reason for it. And then I moved away. I moved to my dad's a few hours away and um, still had the focus of getting the Marines. So I graduated early from high school in, in January of 2007. Like I had to make it to the Marines. I just had to do that. And then that's where it came in. I joined the Marines and I got the, the, the direction, the, the guidance I need. People saw something in me and made me a leader. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it took me to. And then on that journey after the Marines, and now we're back here. I was a firefighter of the year having these suicidal thoughts, you know, and, and, so, so yeah, let me, let me say, so basically you, you went, you were a Marine. Then, um, when you came out of there, you went to that, uh, Lima, Peru and, and you really had a sense of purpose and you felt like you had direction and you started this nonprofit. Um, but as a firefighter, you're a little bit frustrated, right? Because you wanted to make a difference and you're seeing people having all kinds of issues. Your friend then overdoses, on heroin, right? Dies. And yeah. you're still not making a difference. And I mean, you don't, you don't know the next step. And so fast forward to you've now you've lost everything. Basically you're not doing the, you feel completely probably hopeless. If suddenly what you as firefighter of the year, you look at yourself and you're like, I should not be firefighter. I shouldn't have been that last year. Like I'm not, I'm not true to myself. It sounds like is where you were yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was a firefighter of the year and I was smoking weed at work. I was, I was struggling a lot with, I mean, obviously substance abuse, but also I would, I mean, definitely imposter syndrome. I have always had this underlying feeling of not being good enough. I would likely point that back to being kicked out of my home, you know, as a, as a freshman, like you're not welcome here anymore. And, um, that stayed with me for forever. And then those, I realized then when I was 20 year old firefighter of the year that I was having the same cycles, the same suicidal thoughts, the same emotional cycles, very angry as a kid. I was very angry here um, or as, or then at least. And I knew that I had to make some serious changes in my life or this path that I'm on would be my, my destiny, my life forever. And so I, I mean, I sunk back into this really, this really dark place, this depression. And I knew I had to make some changes in my life. And I thought back to my time in Peru and I thought about how they lived their life there and how I, I mean, I, and I had thought about it all the time since I, I, I was just waiting for the opportunity to go back. And I felt like this was it, you know, I was 
I was here. I was so miserable. I was very unhappy with, I mean, I could point it to all kinds of different things, but really with myself. And I, um, I sat back down, I sat back down and I, I thought about my life and I thought about what had helped me in the past. And I just kind of came to this idea over time that service, the Marine Corps service, firefighter service, my service to the community through volunteering really got me. So I was like, okay, that's something. And then I thought about growing and, and questions and, and all these different things. When I went down to Peru, it was when I left, I had more, way more questions than I had answers. You know, what is happiness? What is success? What is the point of this all? Have I been lied to? And so I had all these questions. And then I thought about how I had moved away to join the Marines. And that really helped in a way save my life. And then I thought about how I moved from Iowa to Arizona and getting out of that, that place and the, uh, just this idea of action. And so in a way, I mean, I've had a couple of years now to think about it, but I, in that moment, in a way, I came to the idea that I would, instead of measuring my life by any external measures of success, I wanted to measure my life by how much I serve, I grow, and I act, how much I give, how much I grow, and how far I go. So to me, that, be, that meant becoming a coach so I can be of service to others in their time of need. The grow meant going to, to grad school to learn more so I can feel like I can make a difference on a larger scale. And ultimately, for me, the go meant the decision to sell all my things, resign from what I once thought was my dream career, and take a trip around the world. And so... So, so hold on. So you went from, so you went from, um, so the shooting happened in Las Vegas and you're in the, it was just one of those things that was like, okay, this, you looked at your life, you're, you know, it was overwhelming seeing that on the media, which I, I just want to, I brought this up earlier when we were off air, but just people don't realize how the media and the report and things that are going on in our world impact the ripple effect of that. Right that you in Arizona at the time were right. Is that where you were then at the time? You know, yeah, Arizona. There, you're impacted by, wow, this person who used a machine gun and did horrible things. And you know, that impacted you. It was one more trauma on top of the other things that had happened to you. So you went from that, you resigned at that point. Then you looked at yourself. You're like, I'm not living what I true to myself. I want to be giving to other people. That's when I felt the best. And you, just decide to sell every, oh, oh no. And you're having suicidal thoughts and you decide to sell everything and travel around the world. Yeah, basically. I mean, in, in a way that's it's pretty that's amazing. Kind of how, yeah. I so mean, is your answer to everyone out there who's feeling a little down, sell it all and travel around the world. No, I'm kidding. But, no, but actually no, it I'm, does. No, but I love the, the, the give growing and, and go like, that does resonate with me. So tell me, yeah, what wait, happened next? I have next? a question. Oh, I, I want to know something too. In that 10 months, okay, that you were out and you were seeing the world. Well, he hasn't told us about that yet. Well, I, I, as, <laughs> as you, I know, but as you tell it, I, I really want to know, like I want to know what you learned during that time. I, I, I just think some amazing stories are going to are gonna be told from that. So please, like let's take the time and do it justice. So We might have to have a part two. Yeah, there may have ahead. to be <laughs> for sure. I can't wait to hear it though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, it was, it wasn't just like a boom, 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 but it was more like a, a knowing that I had to make some changes and really I started to meditate and that kind of gave me some space for my mind. Um, and then just uh, on going in from, it was New Year's Eve going into 2018. I, I remember just talking to some, some friends and I was like, I'm moving to Costa Rica. And I, I just knew I had to do it, but 
there was a whole lot more than just like going there. I had to get rid of all my stuff. I had to, like, I had no idea how I was going to make it happen. Do I you surf? I, I don't surf. I tried to learn there and I got bumped in the head with the, my surfboard. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather sit on the beach and read a book. Okay. And it's, it's <laughs> I just, we just went to Costa Rica about a year and a half ago and my husband is, would love to move. I mean, he's not going to be able to listen to this episode. The fact that you went and lived in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. God, he, he likes surfing there. Yeah, Didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the, the beaches there are incredible. I uh, and, and that's and that's really what my experience was. My so over the so that was New Year's Eve, and then made it just everything. Just when I committed, once I committed, everything started to work out. All the plans started to align. My, and my girlfriend now, we were still together, and she was able to make it work for herself as well. And then in June 26, 2018, I. I had a, about a one-way ticket to Costa Rica with no real plans of ever calling me home. And just like you asked, I, I, I think it's a disclaimer, don't have my dreams, don't follow my path unless that is aligned with you and where you want to go with your life. Because what worked for me isn't going to work for you, for you necessarily or whoever might be listening to this, but there is something to go. There's an action. There's a, there's a calling from inside of you that can be actualized or brought out to brought to the surface and, and put into the real world. That, that is very real to me, my experience in Peru and my sense of, or my drive or desire for adventure, this was right for me. And I would highly recommend experiencing other countries traveling the world to everyone. And you asked a bit about my experiences. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be, probably be a couple, a couple uh, episodes, but I spent time much other country, all of which were in Central and South America, four, four months in Costa Rica. I, I it, it, the most incredible place to start this journey. I lived in the jungle and in, in Costa Rica for a month working at a surf camp. I became an English teacher. Um, I started to try to find my way. And after that, I went to Peru. We, we stayed in a, for, we worked at a lot in a lodge in the Andes Mountains for about a month, hiking control to Machu Picchu. We, we spent all this time exploring the Andes Mountains. Um, and then it was really powerful for me because then in January of 2019, six years to the day, I was back in Lima, Peru the city that really changed it all for me and the, the city that first opened my mind to what is, what else is out there. And I remember just being in Lima. There's a, there's a, they have a, a cliff and it looks out over the Pacific ocean and there was a beautiful sunset. And it was like the day that I arrived six years before. And now here I am now with my girlfriend. And it was just, it was crazy to think about that. That is how my life had ended up. And Two months in, in, two and a half months in Peru, then I went to Colombia, and Colombia is just such a powerful place. I, I, it's, it's hard to put into words, but they, they went from the most dangerous city in the world, and I mean, a lot of people when they think about Colombia, they think narcos or they think cocaine, and it's just such a, it's such, it's such a shame to only get fixated on, on that, on that. Because Colombia is the place that really changed, transformed everything for us. We had been on the road now for about eight or six months at that point. And just Colombia and Medellin is where we stayed for two months. It was the most dangerous city in the world in the, in the early 90s. But it became the most innovative city in the world in the early 2010s. 
And the people there are the most warm and welcoming people you ever meet. The mountains and jungles and waterfalls surrounding the city are beautiful. The coffee region is beautiful. The, the beaches are amazing. Like, it's just such an incredible place. And it was just a, a place that really, all the things that had been going on, because we we didn't plan this out. Like, we knew where we were going. We just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. We got to one place. We stayed there for a little while. We learned about where we should go next. And that's just how it was. But everything just kind of settled into us in, in Colombia. And, um, yeah, I mean, after that, we spent eight weeks backpacking through Europe. We, we decided or I decided really in Colombia that I wanted to marry my my wife or my girlfriend. And we adventured backpacked three or four days in different cities around around Europe and ended our trip in with an engagement in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris and um, then came back to this world that we had left behind and you know it was it was really interesting it was it's hard to there's so much going on during all this time I was going to grad school I mean I was traveling I was um you know doing all these things but I came back and I just on my experiences while traveling it showed me another way to live life it showed me what it was like to be free be really free, like emotionally, spiritually, completely free to live my life how I choose to live it. It put me back in the driver's seat of my life. Now, so what brought was... you back to Lakeland of all places? Because those listening uh, far away don't know that Lakeland is just a small town, not too far from yeah. Disney World in Orlando. But um, <laughs> and what I mean, just or what brought you back to the States? Was that um, Corona? I mean, COVID or what? What? No, this would have been, this was the year before COVID, okay. but what really, what really brought me back was my, my brother. So uh, I mentioned before he got cancer, he got cancer mm -hmm. when he was 14, uh, when I was seven. Um, and he had, he had pancreatic cancer, which kills most people in the first six months. He had a, I remember when he was 18, I was like 12, maybe my mom told me he had a 5% chance of surviving the next six months, but he lives and he continued to move forward. And it's really inspiring. There's a whole nother uh, there's so much more I can go into with his, his journey, but, but he's really what I came back for because he started to get worse there in 2017. And it was always this, this roller coaster ride of like, is Josh going to be okay? Like, is he getting better? Is he getting worse? Because he, at this point now had been going for 20, 21 years. And, you know, we, at this point we couldn't put our lives on hold, but we never really knew what was going on. And so that's a, I just, I just want to mention, yeah, that's a di very difficult way to live. It just, um, medical, medical traumas or medical diagnoses cause so much trauma in family because you do, you, you put your life on hold for a while and then you think, well, we can't put it on hold forever. And it's just such a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, so, so that's what it was. I, I actually, my brother, he was put on hospice when we were in Peru. So about six months before, and I, I, me I remember messaging him, we were in Peru. We had basically just started a trip a couple months into it. And I was like, Josh, you know, I heard you're on hospice now and that concerns me a bit. Is everything okay? And he just said, I'm fine. Like that's, he was always really short. He'd been this, this way, you know, more, most of his life sick. And he doesn't like, he was really closed off and, and he didn't want to talk about it really, but he's like, I'm fine. I was like, okay, well, Josh, if you're going to die, you know, you're my brother. If you're going to die, I want to know so I can come home and see you. And he's like, I'm not going to die. And I said, fine. I said, fine, me either. Well, we're uh, all going to die sometime, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So it was just a sort of like funny thing. But either way, it was just there was some shifts. Like he was put on hospice. I was new, like some some changes, and I just knew I had to come home. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically why I came home because um, I, I just needed to see my brother before uh, before he died. And I, I came back and went home. Um, grew up in Iowa, so I went home to Iowa the summer of of 2019, and then my my brother ended up dying in the end of July of of 2019 of that year. So I, I made it, I got to see him a handful more times before he passed. And I mean, that's, that's why I came home and, um, kept moving. I, I, I spent about six to eight months traveling around the States after that. And then my, my plan was to go hike Kilimanjaro in, um, in Africa after graduating from, uh, so this whole time I'm traveling, I'm going to grad school online. I'm getting a master's of global management degree. And it's really cool because I'm learning about global management while I'm traveling and everything's, you know, working out perfectly in this, in this way. Um, but after graduation, it was sort of like a, a gift from my brother to go hike Kilimanjaro. And that was my plan. We, at this point, my now fiance and I were literally had just a backpack and a half to our name. We were living at friends' houses or going to Airbnbs. Um, and then we ended back in Arizona to settle down for a bit to finish, finish school this time last year. But still, the plan was to go traveling afterwards. We were going to go to Africa and then go live in Bali for the, the rest of the summer. But then coronavirus hit, and we really didn't know what to do or where to go. And then my dad recently moved here to Lakeland, Florida. And so since we had no plans of going anywhere else, we figured we'd just go visit my dad here in Lakeland. And that's that's how I ended up in Lakeland. We got here and just landing down the first day, I was like, we need to be here. I mean, for the past two two years prior, we were very ungrounded. We were literally living off our backpacks. And um, we didn't have a home. And my, my fiance now, she wants a home. She wanted a puppy, all these different things. And, you know, it's it's hard to... I think Bill Gates says, you know, you can't always connect the dots looking forward. You have to connect them back, looking backwards. And every single experience now makes perfect sense. We are married now. We have just got a house last week. We got a, got a puppy. Um, I've started this travel company taking people to Columbia, and it's just been such a, a wild ride. Hold on. You started um, a travel company during a pandemic? I love that. Yeah. For real? That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, um, so now you're taking, you take so adventures to Columbia. Actually, I, it sounds fun to me. I'd like to go. Um, so, um, and then you are, but you had this, you met our friend, how, how we, we all connected, I guess, through Dan yeah. Jarvis and 20 to zero. And, um, yeah. tell, us, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the like when i landed here a, a big part of like the catalyst for for me loving lakeland so much it's a beautiful city um but it's it's catapult this co-working space which is where i met dan and a handful of other really great friends now and just when i met dan it was just um everything seemed so aligned so i'm fortunate enough to be on the board of directors for 220 but when we it's like when i left i was looking for a better way to backtracking a bit when I was a firefighter, like I said, I felt very frustrated with the system and, and the idea that we're just putting band-aids on actual deeply rooted mental, emotional, and psychological problems. And then I, there I was, my friends were, I was losing my friends. I've lost a handful of, 
people I serve with to suicide. My best friend died of a heroin overdose. Here I am having suicidal thoughts. I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So I decided to go out and find it. And it's like I landed here in Lakeland and then I bump into Dan at this co-working space and it's like, this is the better way. And so I'm, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be on the board of directors here with Dan and I've been working my, part of my coaching practice is helping people rebuild their life after trauma or transition. And so now that I'm working with Dan, it's just such an incredible gift because we have the tools, we have the capabilities to help people take their life back from trauma, from adverse experiences, whether childhood or, or military or first responder or just anything in life. Cause life is difficult. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how Dan and I connected here and just, we just learned about each other's journey and we're working together now. So Jesse, there's somebody out there listening to your story that, you know, maybe has, uh, has had some really dark thoughts and, and, uh, you know, whether it's a veteran or, or whatever, you know, what would you say to that person right now? What's, what's, uh, what kind of encouragement can you offer them right now, um, based on your own journey? What I would say is that it might not make sense now, but you have to feel this pain so you can realize that you have to take charge of your life and move forward and create your life how you want to create it. I believe that's why we feel pain because we feel, and I believe that the pain gets worse and it gets heavier and deeper until we decide to freaking take that knife out and move forward in our life. So I would say, do just that, take action, move forward. There's this podcast, you know, I, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I've only heard a couple of stories, but it's truly incredible. The, the guests you, you've had on, 22-0, what I'm doing in my personal coaching practice, these adventure travel retreats that help people take back their life and transform, truly transform at a deep level. Um, there's, there's so many resources and, and tools out there. So I would say, give yourself the gift of life have faith that there's something bigger happening here and move forward and, 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 and get support and be connected to people that want to see the best in you. And one of the things I heard you say earlier, and I thought that's so perfect. And you were talking about the travels and you said, once you committed, everything fell into place. And I think that's such an important point. You know, you said, create, you said, create the life you want. If you don't have the life, take the knife out and create the life you want to have. And, and some of it is just about committing, right? Just committing to change. I'm going, something is going to be different today. And so yeah. that was, I thought that was very Absolutely. thoughtful. Yeah. So the, cool. the idea, the idea of commitment has been um, something that I, I didn't really understand before until I tell like, until I committed, I didn't know how I was going to make things work. And I talked to, I actually just talked to Dan yesterday about how 22-0 came about and he said, at a, and maybe he shared this on the podcast before, but he was talking about he was at this retreat and he said, point two zero. And everyone looked at him like he was crazy, and but he didn't know what was going on. He was like, I don't know what came over me. I just knew that I had to do point two zero. Just like I knew I had to go travel the world and see what else is out there. That idea of commitment, the, the decision to take back your life or to move forward or to try this or go here, it changes everything. And it's one of those things that you, you look back once you commit and you realize that there's a better there's a better way to live. I don't have to suffer my whole life. And you commit to finding that better way. Doors open. Questions are answered. Things are given to you that you would have never receive when you were closed down, you know, feeling sorry for yourself or, or caught up in your own, in your own life or whatever it is. If you commit and you move forward, like things that almost aren't explainable start to happen. Mm. And that has been, 
experience. Mm. Right. And, and we just reframe things, right? So when you're committed to something, when a door closes, you, okay, well, that's not the right door. Keep going. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Jesse, you've got an amazing story. I, I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you for sharing these details. And, and I, I would also ask where, you know, somebody wants, first of all, somebody wants to go down to Columbia with you. How do they track with you there? And, but you also have a podcast. So why don't you tell the listeners about what the things that you're working on and how they can connect with you? The best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram action or at action underscore Jesse. My podcast is called the action hour. It's, I'm bringing you insights, ideas, and inspiration to uncover your greatness to overcome adversity and take action on your dreams. And then also action adventures. If you want to learn about, about the, the travel company or the coaching offerings or anything like that, you can visit me at action hyphen oriented.com. So cool. Well, Jesse Simpson, thank you for being on life after PTSD. I know that this is going to be a huge blessing to our listeners. And like I said, I love, just love getting to talk to our military guys. We want to thank you for your service. Um, both as a serviceman, but also as a firefighter, even though it was not in a community that affected us, it affects all of us. And so, you know, you've just got a great heart and amazing. Um, just thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate both of you as well. Well, for the listeners out there, uh, all we ask every single week is that you just share this episode. Somebody out there needs to hear Jesse's story and uh, we'll keep doing what we do and you help us do what we do as well. And we will drop another episode as always next week here on Life After PTSD. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review and share it with your community. 